Good morning to all of you. And I'm glad to welcome you and those of you online, welcome. I am very eager to share with you this message, this Sabbath, because it blesses me. So this message I've titled Matthew's Christmas Story. Levi Matthew, as you probably all know, was a tax collector. He was hated, hated by the Jews. He worked for the Romans. It is amazing to me that Jesus saw in Matthew something of value and this crooked tax collector becomes a disciple of Jesus. There are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only Matthew and Luke tell the story of Jesus' birth. Matthew is extremely unique as a, gospel, as a gospel writer because he is the only one that tells the story of Jesus' family tree. He is the only one that tells the story of the magi or the wise men that bring gifts to Jesus that eventually have an interview with Herod he is the only one that tells the story that an angel tells Joseph to flee from Bethlehem to save Jesus' life. And he's the only one that tells the story that later God instructs him that it's safe to go back to Palestine. And Joseph and Mary and Jesus go to Nazareth. Now, this Christmas story that, that Matthew shares is, is amazing. And it starts there in chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, by telling Jesus' genealogy. Now that's about as exciting as reading the phone book. And so when we think of the Christmas story, let's just skip over those verses because to us that genealogy is just ridiculous. But we need to understand and we need to ask the question, Matthew, Matthew, tell us why in the world would you bore us with this genealogy, we're not interested. And Matthew would say, you don't understand. I'm writing to a Jewish audience, and the most important thing that I can tell them is not that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Any little boy can be born in Bethlehem. It is essential that I tell the Jewish readers that Jesus is a direct descendant of Abraham and David. Now, that's maybe not important to us. 
But that is essential for Matthew to share that. So this family tree, this genealogy that that Matthew shares here in chapter 1 in these first 17 verses may be boring to us. But I am eager to help you understand something in this genealogy that I imagine that has never been shared with you. I think it is amazing. So I want to introduce to you the reason again why he shares this. There are really two reasons. It is essential for the Jewish reader to know that Jesus is a direct descendant from Abraham and David. The second reason is less obvious. Maybe you've heard of a man called Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian born in Jerusalem in 37 AD. Josephus writes about himself and a biography about himself, autobiography in which he gives a genogram. So I pose this question to you. What is in your family tree what, what are the people that are there? What are the experiences that are there? And how significant is it to your life today? I'm not going to tell you my family tree. I could. And I'm not very proud of it because there are stories in my family tree that oof, give me the heebie-jeebies. So one of the questions you should take away from this this Sabbath morning is what is in your family tree that's important and what was in Jesus's family tree that's important for you to take away today so I mentioned to you about Josephus Josephus when he wrote his work started out with his own family tree now, you need to understand this. This gets to the second reason why it's essential for Matthew's Christmas story to have Jesus' family tree. See, every Jew, every male Jew, started every morning with the same prayer. Oh, mighty God. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I thank you, I praise you, hallelujah, that I was not born a Gentile. And I praise you and thank you, God Almighty, that I was not a slave. And I'm really excited, God Almighty, that I am not a woman. Josephus would pray that prayer. Every male during the time of Jesus would begin his morning with that prayer. Thank you, Almighty God, that I am not a Gentile. I am not a slave and I am not a woman. So now listen. The Christmas story that Matthew is going to tell 
is like a laser hitting that prayer to say, that prayer is full of baloney. Because of the arrogance and the pride of you Jews, Jewish men, I want to tell you that Jesus in his family tree has Gentiles. And Jesus has women in his family tree. So, in the first 17 verses, Matthew's Christmas story has eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight startling entries in Jesus' family tree. Those eight entries all have to do with pedigree. Every Jew wanted to make sure that his heritage was pure. Herod, who gave the death decree to all the babies in Bethlehem, was a half-breed. He was half-Jew and half-Edomadian. And he decided to destroy every genealogy he could in Jerusalem because he knew that he would never be listed in a Jewish genealogy. The Jews were famous and obsessed with pedigree. So in this story, the Christmas story that Matthew gives, there are eight outstanding, surprising earth-shaking like a bolt of lightning entries in Jesus' family tree that is part of Matthew's Christmas story. So let's look at this. Look at this with me if you want. Online, take your Bibles or here. Take your Bibles and we're going to start with verse 1 of chapter 1. And I want you to see these startling eight entries. And the eighth one, the eighth one is absolutely the most important. So let's look. Here's verse one. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Nothing exciting there. Verse two is the same way. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And you remember the story of Abraham and building the altar. He's going to crucify, not crucify, he's going to kill his son on that altar. Isaac is the father of Jacob. And Jacob is the father of Judah. And Judah has his sons. Now, nothing exciting there, but plant it in your head that Matthew's Christmas story must establish for all the Jewish readers that Jesus has a direct link to Abraham and David. So, startling number entry one. Oh my, this is earth-shaking. So, this is verse three. And this verse, you've got to shake your head at, even though you don't know why yet. 
Judah is the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, wait a second. This is really mixed up. You see, Judah was married first to another lady. And out of that marriage, he had sons. So his firstborn son now is, is old enough to get married. And Judah looks around and says, hmm, I got to find a woman for my son. And he sees this beautiful young lady, who? Tamar. And he says, that woman will be my daughter-in-law. And so he gives Tamar to his oldest son. And they're married. And they don't have any children. And before they don't have any children, guess what? Because that firstborn son is so wicked, God strikes him dead. Now in that culture, not only did the father choose a mate for his sons, in that culture... If the first son, in this case who died, didn't produce any offspring, then the father would, would give that woman to the second son. And so Tamar is married to Judah's second son. Oh my! That's bad news because that second son is more corrupt, more immoral... Then the first son and God strikes him dead. And Judah says, oh my lands. Oh, I'm not giving my third son to that woman. Or that woman is not going to be married to my third son. She can just hold off a little bit. So what happens? Tamar becomes a widow. She doesn't have a husband, and there are no children. And guess what she has to do to make a living? She has to become a prostitute. Now, in the meantime, Judah's wife dies. And so he's lost two of his sons, and now he's lost his wife. He's all alone, and he feels so bad. <sighs> This being alone and single is terrible. It's time for the shearing of the sheep. And he's been working hard out there shearing sheep. And he comes into town. And at the gates of the town, there is this woman with a veil. And she's a prostitute. And he looks at her and says, Oh, man, I need some loving. And he promises this veiled woman as payment a sheep. Now what happens as he goes in to see this wonderful lady and he doesn't realize who this prostitute is that is covered with a veil. He leaves his seal and his staff behind. Hmm, that's like leaving your driver's license or your birth certificate. 
And, and, and so now you don't have ID. And he leaves her. He doesn't ever expect to see her again. Oh, my. Now, in this picture, we can see her face. But as he met with this woman that day, he did not know who that woman was. Months go by, and he hears that his daughter-in-law is pregnant. And he said, mm, she's going to be burned to death. Bring her here. I'm going to execute her. So Tamar shows up in front of Judah, and he's going to have her destroyed. And she says, well, just hang on a minute. Do you recognize this and this? And she shows him his seal and his staff. Oh. oh, why in the world does this happen to me? He realizes now who Tamar is. And he marries her. And from that marriage... The two boys that are born out of, in, out of an incestual relationship with Judah and his daughter-in-law, those two boys who should have been his grandchildren are his sons. In Matthew's Christmas story, the first shocking thing is a story of Judah and Tamar an incestual relationship. Oh, my. And I, I, I asked myself, why in the world does Matthew want his readers to know this Christmas story as it begins with this terrible story? So now we got to go to surprise entry number two. What is going on here? And I do know how to spell entry. That's spelled wrong there. Surprise entry number two. Earth-shaking. What is it about? Judah marries Tamar. That incestual relationship produces two boys. Startling entry number two. Perez, one of Judah's sons, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadad. Aminadad, the father of Heshon. And then you get down to Solomon. That's not Solomon, and that's not Salmon. Solomon. The father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Shocking entry number two. Rahab. And we all know that story, don't we? Rahab. A professional prostitute is in Jesus' genealogy. It is part of Matthew's Christmas story. 
the inhabitants of Jericho knew that the children of Israel, this horde of Israelites was coming, going to attack their city. And the king of Jericho heard there were spies in his city of Jericho. He sent soldiers out to find them. And those two Israelite spies, where did they go? They go to Rahab's brothel. And she gives them something to eat, and she looks at them and says, uh-huh. you guys are not from around here, are you? You don't live in these parts. You are Israelites. And she gets scared, terrified, like all the inhabitants of Jericho. And she says, I will protect you if you will save me, my family, and my parents. And these boys listen and think, okay, you hide us from the soldiers. And when we come to take Jericho, you hang this scarlet cord out of your window. And that will guarantee that you will not die. The scarlet cord, the same color as the blood that was put on the doorposts. In the story of the Exodus, if you're under the scarlet, you can be saved. And so it was that as the children of Israel came, she hung it. Now, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. The great faith chapter, Hebrews 11, by faith Moses, by faith Abraham. Isn't it amazing that in, Mo, that in Matthew's Christmas story, there is a professional prostitute? By faith, Rahab prostitute Rahab because she welcomed the spies. She gets listed in the Hall of Fame. Matthew tells the story, her story, and she is listed in Hebrews 11 by faith Rahab. In the Christmas story, in the lineage of of Jesus in his family tree, there is room for individuals that have been incested. There is room for a professional prostitute. And we have to ask right now, why, why, why? Matthew, Matthew, why do you do this? And then I think of that prayer that every male would pray at the beginning of his day. Oh, God Almighty, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I thank you that I am not a Gentile and that I am not a slave, and hallelujah, praise God, I am not a woman. And in Matthew's Christmas story, Ugh. 
There is a Gentile. There is a prostitute. And there is a lady. There are ladies. Who? How can this be? Matthew has a purpose in telling this Christmas story. He wants the Jews to understand who Jesus is. But he wants us to understand something even more important that climaxes with entry number eight, the best entry of all. So let's move on. Now this is a picture, an artist's picture, of Lot and his two daughters fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, Abraham had prayed that God would save the city of Sodom and Lot and his family. Angels appeared at Lot's home and said, Lot, you and your wife and your daughters get out of here fast. Go, flee, run. Because this city is going to be destroyed. Get out of here. So the four of them leave Sodom. And the angel said, don't even turn around to look back. But dear sister Lot, Lot's wife, could not stand the fact that she was going to lose everything in Sodom. And she looked back. And you know what happened? So now it's these three. Lot and his two daughters who are fleeing Sodom. And where do they go? They flee to the mountains to a cave. Now remember, don't forget this. I've already drilled you on this. It is important for every Jew to know his lineage. And these two girls say to themselves, Oh, my land, we're in deep trouble. There's not any men to carry on our dad's family name. And the girls get together and, and the oldest girl says, I got a plan. Listen to me, sister. I'll get dad drunk tonight. And out of that incestual relationship, dad might have a son. And then later... Sis, you get dad drunk, and out of that relationship, maybe dad will have a son to carry on our family name. So that's what these girls did. And the oldest daughter had a son named Moab, and the young daughter, younger daughter, had a son named Ammon. Moab and Ammon descendants of Lot's incestual relationship with his daughters has these two boys. These two boys grow up to be a nation and God is just uh, sick with these boys because they are so immoral that God puts, we could say, a decree on them that never, ever, ever will any Moabite or any Ammonite ever be welcome in my kingdom. They are forever exiled. Well, now that brings us 
to surprising entry number three. So, what is going on here? In Matthew's Christmas story, we have the story of these three that flee from Sodom and that Lot has two sons. In these sons, a result of an incestual relationship with his daughters. Surprise, startling entry number three. Boaz, the father of Obed. Now, who in the world is Boaz? Boaz was the son of Rahab. Boaz, the son of Rahab, his mother was a professional prostitute. Boaz is the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Who in the world is Ruth? Ugh. Shocking, surprise, entry number three is Ruth. Who is Ruth? So let me fill in the story. There was a lady named Naomi. She lived in Bethlehem, and she had two sons. There was a famine that came to, to that part of Palestine, and so Naomi and her husband and sons fled Bethlehem and went to the land of Moab. Of Moab. It was there that one of her sons married this woman called Ruth, who was a Moabite. In the course of time, now you got Naomi and Ruth, you got Naomi and her husband and two sons, and, and, and Ruth is married to one of the sons. Naomi's husband dies, and the two boys die, and so now you have Naomi and Ruth as widows. Startling entry number three is the fact that Naomi and Ruth go back to Bethlehem and Ruth works in a field owned by Boaz. Oh, now listen to this statement by Moses. This is a decree that God gave. Never, 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 and a bunch more nevers is an Ammonite or a Moabite ever, ever, ever to be welcome in worship with God. They are outcasts forever. In Jesus' family tree in Matthew's Christmas story, how is it possible that in Jesus' genealogy, there is this Moabite who is never, 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 never welcome? You know what is amazing? In Jesus' family tree, Ruth, 
great-great-great-grandmother to Jesus. There is room for outcasts in Jesus' family tree. Ruth and Boaz marry. Startling entry number three is Ruth. Matthew's Christmas story. Oh, my. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile. Thank you, almighty God. I'm not a slave, and hallelujah, thank you even more that I'm not a woman. Let me explain something. One of the purposes, in addition to teaching the Israelites, the Jews, that Jesus was direct lineage from Abraham and David is to confront that pride that they had of boasting. I am so glad I am not a Gentile. And he is here to teach them that in Jesus' family tree, there are lots of places for outcasts, for rejects, for sinners. And I'm here to tell you, even though I don't know and won't use any names, it is possible that in the Boulder Church, there are people that are, have been outcasts, have become outcasts because of choices they've made. But there is no person that has ever been a part of the Boulder Church or that has ever lived on planet Earth that cannot have Jesus as an elder brother. There is room for incest. There is room for prostitutes. There is room for people that are outcasts in Jesus' family tree. Startling entry number four and five. There are eight startling entries. And the eighth one is the best one. But entry number four and five is shaking us with, oh my lands, how does this happen? And Matthew's Christmas story wants us to understand the significance of these people that are in Jesus' family tree. So, Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of King David. And David is the father of Solomon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. <laughs> Matthew will not even put her name there. Oh, God Almighty, Father of Heaven, I am so glad that I am not a woman. Isn't it interesting that entries number four and five deal with two people, David and Bathsheba, now, that story is amazing. 
David is on record in Scripture as being the first peeking Tom. He likes looking at Bathsheba. He commits adultery with her. He gets her pregnant. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, is an elite soldier in David's army. And David sends a message. I want Uriah to come home. Why does he want him to come home? Because he hopes he'll come home and go see his wife. And maybe, maybe something will happen there and nobody will know that the baby that, oh my, is conceived by Bathsheba is David's. But Uriah will not go in to see Bathsheba. So what does David do? He calls his general. He says, listen, you got to help me out. Put Uriah at the front of the army, and when the battle is hot, have all the other soldiers withdraw and run away so that Uriah is left there in front all alone. David designs the murder of Uriah. In Matthew's Christmas story, there is room for murderers. There is room for incestual people. There's room for prostitutes. There's room for rejects like Ruth. And there is room in Jesus' family tree for a murderer, peeking Tom, adulterer, sinner like David. Bathsheba was innocent. Matthew wants his readers to understand the significance of Jesus' lineage connected to Abraham and David, but he wants them to understand something else that is so crucial for you and I to understand, and that is there's always room in Jesus' family tree for sinners. Always room for sinners. Now, I'm not going to show you this verse. I'm going to give you the reference. I want you to repeat that reference with me a few times. Here's the reference. 1 Kings 14.8. I'm going to say it again. 1 Kings 14.8. Say that with me. I didn't hear that very good. 1 Kings 14.8. Say it again. Now, I want you and those of you watching online, I want you to go and read that verse. <sighs> that verse is so amazing. Let me paraphrase it. Think about what we just know about David, a murderer, an adulterer. Here's what God says about David in 1 Kings 14.8. Say that again. What is it? I want you to remember that verse, 1 Kings 14, 8. Here's what God says about David. Choke on this. David keeps my commandments and does only what is pleasing in my sight. How did the Holy Spirit let that get in the Bible? 1 Kings 14, 8. David keeps my commandments 
and does only what is pleasing in my sight? Are you kidding me? This guy is a murderer, an adulterer. It is so important in Matthew's Christmas story to help us understand that when you give your life to Jesus, God looks at you as though you never sinned. 1 Kings 14, 8. David keeps my commandments and does only what is pleasing in my sight. I would like you to put your name in it. I'll model it. I'll put my name. And I'm going to choke on this. Al Williams keeps God's commandments and does only what is pleasing in his sight. <sighs> you see, you can say that and I can say that. If we experience what David did, what did David do? Well, the prophet Nathan comes to David, and out of that encounter with the prophet, David realizes how much of a sinner he is. And he pins, and it's recorded in our Bibles, Psalm 51 is David's story. Oh my. Though your sins be as scarlet, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And because that was David's prayer, Psalm 51, we can go to 1 Kings 14, 8, and God says of David, David keeps my commandments and does only what's pleasing in my sight. <sighs> Startling entries number four and five, the story of David and Bathsheba. Now we got to go on. Startling entry number six. There are eight startling entries in Matthew's Christmas story, and the eighth one is the most exciting one. Number six, this story is worse than David's. This story is worse than all the kings of Israel put together. This story, oh my lands. In the Bible, there are stories in the Bible, in Jesus' family tree, are individuals that should have been struck dead immediately. So what is happening here? Solomon is the father of Rehoboam. And you read on down through there. Eventually, there is King Ahaz, who was married to Jezebel, and Ahaz is the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is the father of Manasseh. Startling entry number six is the story of Manasseh. And his story is worse than all the stories in the Bible about wicked people. What is there about Manasseh? <sighs> This is hard for me to even tell you. Manasseh is so evil 
that he becomes the father of a thousand babies. His job in life is to see how many women he can get pregnant. And out of that situation, he takes those babies and he offers them as human sacrifices. Manasseh, in Jesus' family tree, a murderer, a butcher, an immoral man, and God is so fed up with Manasseh that he withdraws all of his protection from Manasseh. And what happens to Manasseh? The Assyrians come and they take Manasseh captive and they put a ring in his nose and a chain attached to that and they march him to Nineveh and they put him down, 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 down into a dungeon, way down, down in the earth and there where he will never see the light of day. This murderer, this perverted Satan worshiper is in a dungeon. He has murdered thousands of babies. And there in that dungeon, First Kings 14.8, David kept my commandments and did only what was pleasing. Listen to this. This verse could be said of Manasseh. Manasseh kept my commandments and did only what was pleasing because in that dungeon, Manasseh prayed and asked God for forgiveness and God forgave Manasseh and restored him as a king. In Matthew's Christmas story, there is Manasseh in Matthew's Christmas story of the genealogy of Jesus, there are, are people, individuals, men and women, some of them the most corrupt people in the world. And I'm here to tell you here in church and those of you watching now or later, you can never be bad, bad enough, never sin many, however many times. And you can never be good, good enough to earn salvation. But if you will come to Jesus, Jesus will say of you, and I challenge you to put your name in this verse. I'll model it. Hal Williams keeps God's commandments and does only what is pleasing in his sight. Manasseh keeps God's commandments and does only what is pleasing. The Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1 is not just a story about Jesus' linkage to Abraham and David. It is the story of the plan of salvation. Oh, Manasseh. We got to go to entry number seven. Hurry up. Al Williams, hurry up. Starling entry number seven. There's eight of them. And number eight is the best. So I'll try and hurry. 
Here is startling entry. Hmm, number seven. It is the story of Joseph and Mary. Father Jacob was the father of Joseph, who was the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Hmm. Startling entry number seven is about Mary. Now, try and put this together in your head. Mary, tell us about your life. Well, I was a young girl, just a young girl, and I got pregnant. Well, Mary, who was the dad? Was, it was Joseph, right? No, God got me pregnant. Now, what? Uh, say that again. What, Joseph was your husband? And, no, God got me pregnant. Now, come on. Mary, don't be lying to us. <laughs> be honest with us. The story of Mary is the story that is so unique of all the women in Jesus' family tree. There are only three people I can think of in the entire Bible that we have no record of their terrible sins. The first one is Enoch, who walked with God. The second one is Daniel. And yet, both of those men were sinners. The third person in the New Testament now that we have no record of terrible sins is Mary. It is exceptional that there could be in Boulder Church or in anywhere in the world that there can be people, men or women, who have lived such pure lives. We will never understand the ridicule that Mary faced. How did you get pregnant? Well, God got me pregnant. The ridicule that that lady had to live with. This doesn't happen, Mary. <laughs> and yet, Matthew's gospel, his Christmas story tells us that Jesus' father was the Holy Spirit. Not only was Jesus a descendant of Abraham and David, Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus' father is the Holy Spirit. Amazing story. She will give birth to a son. Startling entry number seven is the story of Mary and the birth of Jesus. And, and, and that we can say is the best gift that ever was given to this world was Jesus. But I'm going to say there's startling entry number eight that is really amazing. Jesus would save his people from their sins amazing story startling entry number eight the most amazing startling entry Matthew starts his Christmas story 
with a genealogy, a family tree, Jesus' family tree. Startling entry number eight. Startling entry number eight. Most people miss. Very few people see it. Matthew starts, Matthew 1, with Jesus' family tree. There are two family trees in Matthew. The first family tree, Jesus was born into. The second tree, at the end of Matthew's gospel, is the tree that Jesus died on. There are two trees. In Matthew's gospel, his Christmas story, the first tree you had to be a Jew to get into, it was decorated with the lives of very, very sinful people. The second tree is decorated, stained with the blood of Jesus. And it's through this second tree that the most amazing thing happens, and that is that you and I can be saved. Two family trees in Matthew. The first one, Jesus was born into. The second tree, Jesus died on. And now I want to point you to these trees. There's no third tree. But in most all of our homes, if you come to our home, you'll see it there too. There is a Christmas tree. It is decorated with lights. Sherry and I have gone to great efforts to decorate this tree at our house. And there are ornaments on it. And there will be gifts underneath it. Two family trees in the gospel. The first one, Jesus was born into. The second one is stained with the ornaments of his blood. But in our homes, in downtown, and in our churches, there are Christmas trees. Some of them are real evergreens. Some of them are fake. Some Christmas trees may be white or pink, but they're decorated. So I want your eyes to see something different this Christmas day. When you see a Christmas tree decorated, the lights on it, I want you to see. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And he brings gifts to us. And the greatest gift he could give us is that second tree that's at the end of Matthew's gospel where Jesus' tree, the cross, is stained with his blood. And we have in our church Christmas trees. And I want you to reframe them and I want you to see them in a bigger picture. That Jesus wants you to see that Christmas tree and see it through the lens of Matthew's gospel. That Jesus is the light of the world. 
and he came to save us. We'll put gifts there. And Jesus brought gifts to us. This doesn't show up right. There are skeletons hiding in our closets. What does that mean? In our family of origin, there can be skeletons. But no matter what is in your family of origin, my, my, my family of origin, the stories in it, I don't want to tell you. I am a terrible sinner. And yet Jesus says, even though, Al, there may be skeletons in your closet, on my tree, I got gifts for you. And so I want you to think about your family tree, your family of origin. Listen, I'm here to tell you, Satan does not want you to believe in the second tree or the first one. He wants you to believe that you can never be saved. He does not want you to believe 1 Kings 14, 8. Where God can say of you, you have kept my commandments and you do only what's pleasing in my sight. If you let Jesus be the Lord of your life, he will save you. This song I want us to close with. Mary, you did you know. Mark Lowry wrote this song in 1984, and as he wrote this song, Mary, Did You Know, he thought to himself, if I could interview Mary, I'd ask her, Mary, what was it like to raise Jesus, the Son of God? Mary, what did you know about him and what didn't you know about him? The bottom line is this. What do you and I know about Jesus? Do you know him as your savior? Matthew's Christmas story is more than just saying to the Jews, Jesus is related to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jesus came to this world to be your savior. And because of the second tree that's at the end of Matthew's gospel, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. You and I can be saved. So listen to this song by Mark Lowry. Mary, did you know?